An injury is the fastest way to derail a client reaching their fitness goals. With NASM's corrective exercise specialization, you can help prevent those injuries from occurring by correcting clients' movement dysfunctions. You'll learn a simple yet highly effective four-step process to help your clients improve and ultimately correct frequent movement compensations, both pre- and post-workout. You'll also become an expert at outlining and creating an individualized strategy for each client to help them more effectively accomplish fitness goals, have a more efficient workout, and recover from workouts faster. Don't wait. Sign up and become a corrective exercise specialist today at nasm.org CES or call 1-800-460-6276. You are listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I want to answer a question that somebody asked me when they DM'd me on Instagram. And the question was actually started because I had posted a squat. And in that post that I made, I asked people to evaluate my squat because I've been spending a lot of my career evaluating people's overhead squat assessments. And now it is your turn to kind of dig into me a little bit. So in that squat, there was, uh, well, let me just read, let me just read the message. The message is from Misfits of Fitness and Misfits says, Hi, Rick. Thanks for all the incredible educational work that you do. You have an excellent way of explaining things. Thank you. I've been studying for the NASM CPT guided study. He likes the queuing videos. And then he says, I noticed some discussion on butt wink. Can you please do a post on the topic sometime? I've seen lots of conflicting information. Some say a little butt wink is normal and not a problem. Others make a big deal out of it. Some say tight hamstrings are the culprit, while others say hamstrings play no part. It's hard to get a good handle on this one. All right, let me see if I can help you uh, wrap your head around it. Let's talk about butt wink. And that is not the official term, but we should probably discuss what that is. And yes, in my video, uh, you can actually watch me squat and there is a quote butt wink. Now, what that is, is as you get deeper into the squat, it's when they go into a posterior pelvic tilt or they start to tuck their pelvis. And so I think it's going to be important to try to figure out, well, what can cause this to happen? What can cause a posterior pelvic tilt? And if you've been studying NASM for a while and you've been watching us and following us, workshops and things like that, you'll notice we talk a lot about an anterior pelvic tilt. An anterior pelvic tilt is where you have an increased lordosis in the lower back or an arch in the lower back and the butt tends to stick out. Well, a posterior tilt is the opposite of that. It is when they go into what I call a scared dog position, uh, when a dog tucks its tail between its legs. So the low back flattens and the butt tucks under. Well, what causes that to happen? Let's first of all look at range of motion. And in that range of motion, if I have you lie back on your back and we just want to do a goniometric assessment, which is like using a giant protractor to figure out what the range of motion is around your hips. And I wanna test your hip flexion. I'd 
reach both of your legs out straight about hip to shoulder width apart with your feet pointed straight in the air. And then I would bend one of your knees and your hips and I would push your knee up towards your chest. And then what tends to happen is that there will start to be a posterior tilt. And what that is, the low back will flatten and push against the table and the pelvis will start to follow the knee as it goes up towards the chest, hence giving it a greater range of motion. So if I'm gonna measure that goniometrically, I'm gonna push back right before. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see that posterior tilt happen. I'm gonna push into it and then I'll pull out. I'll let the knee um, move away from the chest and then I'll push and I'll find that posterior tilt, neutral posterior tilt, and I'll narrow it down right to the point that you are no longer posterior tilting, and that is only hip flexion. It's hip flexion without the pelvis moving along with it. Now, ideal and typical ranges of motion are gonna be about 120 degrees of hip flexion. But here's the thing, and that's good, 120 degrees of hip flexion, that's good. But if we keep the hips, uh, or, or the feet hip to shoulder width apart, and we do this, then we start to squat down, that means that the majority of people are gonna to get to about 120 degrees of hip flexion before they even get their thighs parallel to the ground. So what that means is that if you keep your feet relatively neutral and straight ahead and you go down into your squat, majority of people are gonna go into a posterior tilt or have a butt wink before they even get to parallel with their thigh, uh, their, their thighs to parallel to the ground. All right, and so what's happening there? What's happening is that there's a limit in joint space many times. So the capsule is blocked and the labrum, you kind of hit that end range of motion at the joint and the labrum gets pushed against or pinched against. Um, and that's fine, that's just your end range of motion. So what do you do to protect the joint? Well, you go into a posterior pelvic tilt, so that makes sense. Um, now, what, now what else? Well, what we often do is we look at tight muscles or limited joint space and we tend to say, okay, well, if, if I'm limited in my joint space or I'm limited because of tight muscles, and we'll talk about tight muscles in just a moment, then let me just move my feet wider. Let me go wider with my feet. Um, so I abduct at my hips and I externally rotate at my hips so that I'm a wider position and my toes are pointed out. Well, now you go into a squat, you're not limited at that, that joint capsule anymore. You're not limited at that end range of motion with bone on bone. Um, and so you can go down deeper into the squat without the posterior tilt or the butt wink. All right, well, let's talk about some of the muscles that could potentially be leading to that posterior pelvic tilt as well. So if we look at posterior pelvic tilt, like we spend a lot of time on anterior pelvic tilt at NASM, so let's talk about posterior pelvic tilt and what might cause that. All right, so I can look at it and say, well, what's on the posterior side um, below the hip that's going to posterior tilt me? Uh, the glutes are hip extensors, and a posterior tilt is basically hip extension, but it has spinal movement that goes along with it. So my, my glutes are hip extensors, my hamstrings are hip extensors, and the posterior fibers of my adductor magnus. Now, adductor magnus is a big muscle that the anterior fibers can help to flex the hip. Posterior fibers can help to extend the hip. So, posterior fibers of the adductor magnus can also be a contributing factor 
to this posterior pelvic tilt in a squat. What muscles are on the anterior side? So on the anterior side that are uh, above the hip at the pelvis would be things like um, rectus abdominis, internal and external obliques. And as we go into spinal flexion, standing upright, that creates hip extension with the pelvis on top of the femur, creating that posterior pelvic tilt. Well, now we couple those things, glutes, hamstrings, posterior fibers of the adductor magnus, and then the abs being tight, um, internal and external obliques potentially being tight, leading to a posterior pelvic tilt. And so think about it, if if you're watching this video, uh, this is like where my pelvis is, this is the posterior, this is the anterior, the hamstrings, glutes, and adductor magnus pull down this way, and the rectus abdominis, internal and external obliques pull up superiorly this way, and it creates that posterior pelvic tilt. Now there are muscles on the other side that if that's happening, there are muscles that are allowing those things to happen. Well, what are allowing those things to happen? They're the same muscles we talk about potentially being tight in an anterior pelvic tilt that simply would not be stabilizing and limiting that range of motion here. So it'd be like the erector muscles on the posterior above the hip and the uh, hip flexors on the other side that would help to create hip flexion which would limit the hip extension. So what are the hip flexors? The iliacus, the psoas, the TFL, the adductors. Uh, these are the muscles that we generally look at in an anterior pelvic tilt and we say, oh, uh, you're the culprit. But it's potential that they could be weak here. What I'm gonna say though is that it's likely that there are some tight muscles, but let's talk about why. The question that Misfits asked was, well, what about the hamstrings. I hear that some people think that the hamstrings are a contributing factor and some people don't. And the truth of the matter is it's probably not in a squat. It can be, it can be, but it's probably not. And the reason I say that is because as you go into, uh, think about a deadlift. In a, in, in a Romanian deadlift, you know, where you have a soft bend at your knees and you're doing a, a hip hinge forward, the hamstrings could lead to the posterior tilt because you're stretching the hamstrings and activating at the same time. And so as you keep the knees relatively straight and flex at the hips, then that's basically a hamstring stretch. But so, so as you go into that range of motion, um, the hamstrings being lengthened and in a tightened position create can force a posterior pelvic tilt. But why not a squat? Well, the squat, it may not be as much of a factor because your hamstrings aren't being lengthened. Um, your hamstrings keep almost the same length throughout a squat because as you go into hip flexion, which would be stretching the hamstring, you are also now going into knee flexion, which is shortening the hamstring. So if you're lengthening it at the hip and you're shortening at the knee, then you're actually not changing the range of motion at the hamstring very much at all. So it may not be the hamstrings. And that's why there's some question. Now, might the hamstrings, even in a bent position, be so active that it can create a posterior pull at the pelvis, creating a butt wing? It's possible. It's possible. So I'm not gonna say that's no, but I'm gonna put it on the not as likely list. And then say that while I understand that there could be muscles, it could be joints. How do you know which one is which? Well, I'd simply say this. Um, 
foam roll and stretch create range of motion a lot of times it's also an issue with the calves and we talk about the calves a lot being creating dysfunction at the foot and ankle complex leading up the kinetic chain well this is going to be a big part of that so for instance um, some of it's cueing where people say don't let your knees go past your toes in a squat and i'm going to say that that's going to lead to poor squat mechanics that the knee going past the toe a little bit in your squats is almost an imperative, especially in a neutral position where your feet are straight ahead um, and you're about hip to shoulder width apart. The reason that's the case is you have to share the range of motion at the joints. So as the knee goes forward, it's allowing range of motion to take place at the ankle. But if you decide that you're just going to stop that range of motion at the big toe for some reason, then you're limiting how much ankle dorsiflexion is taking place, which means I'm going to have to do more hip flexion just to get lower down into my squat. So we can loosen up what's going on at the foot and ankle, give you more range of motion. Here's the thing. How far can I let my knee go past my toe is a good question, and you should probably answer that. Um, you should be sharing the weight of your squat between the ball of your foot and the heel of your foot. So how far is too far letting the knee go past? Well, too far is when the heel starts to come up off the ground. You, your heel should not come up off the ground. You sh also shouldn't be focusing about putting weight back into the heels. That's a good way to fall backwards in a squat. And being loaded, that's not a great place to be. So think about you've got it, a broad surface on your foot. Use it. Use all of it. Equal weight distribution between the ball of the foot and the heel of the foot. As your toe goes forward, don't let your heel come up off the ground. And you can let your, your knees go past your toes. That's going to be okay. And then you don't have to compensate by trying to create more hip flexion. And because we only have about 120 degrees of hip flexion, you're either going to bend over a whole lot, and then you're going to start to go into a posterior tilt. So we can work on increasing range of motion at the ankle. So we can loosen up those calves, foam rolling and stretching. Prior to the workout, yeah. Yeah. Well, I heard you're not supposed to um, stretch, you know, static stretch prior to a, a workout. Well, you can. You can. Actually, holding a stretch for about 60 seconds or longer is considered to be something that will decrease your activity. But here's the other thing. These are oftentimes with one rep maxes anyway, or the maximum amount of power output or how high you can jump. So if I'm working with somebody to develop range of motion, then I don't need to be doing one rep maxes anyway. So go ahead and foam roll and stretch. We're not doing an all out max. And even if we were holding that stretch for a little bit longer than, uh, or holding it up to 60 seconds has been shown to decrease power output, but less than that hasn't. So I, I wouldn't concern myself about what's going on with the static stretching so much. Foam roll, stretch. What else can we foam roll and stretch just to see if it helps? We can look at uh, loosening up those posterior fibers of the adductor magnus, loosening up the hamstrings. Um, I don't think loosening the glutes is going to be a problem. I don't think people are... Uh, glutes tend to be a relatively phasic muscle or a muscle that doesn't really work unless you make a special request sometimes. So, uh, But you can foam roll them and, uh, and then do some activations just to prepare for the movement. But these are the muscles that could create a posterior pelvic tilt. What else creates posterior to pelvic tilt? Abs, 
rectus uh, abdominis, and then your internal and external obliques. I wouldn't foam roll those muscles, but certainly adding some stretches for those muscles might be able to support people a little bit better. And then some activations for the muscles to help to stabilize them. A lot of times the erectors in the low back. So create some stabilization exercises to maintain neutral spine, not to arch the back, but to maintain neutral spine to support yourself. All right, well, here's the question. Is the butt wink, is that posterior tilt as you get to the bottom stages of your squat bad? And I'm gonna say it's not bad, but it's not good depending on what you're doing. So if you're just squatting down to pick something up, uh, to, to point out some bugs on the ground to the kids, uh, unloaded, squatting down and creating that posterior tilt as you squat down, unloaded, that's not gonna be an issue. But as you start to load the spine and you add more and more weight, then that pressure on the spine is going to put pressure on the disc. And that's really where a lot of the issues are going to happen. You put pressure on the disc, and as you put pressure on the disc, it can weaken the cartilage that is between the disc, the intervertebral disc, that cartilaginous ring between the discs, and it can create that what you've heard of as a herniation. It can be a protrusion or even an extrusion. It starts to weaken that. And the, the little jelly inside can start to push out. And that could push against a nerve. And that can cause nerve damage. But certainly just even damaging that tissue anyway, whether or not it hurts, is not something that I, I think any of us would be in favor of. So... I wouldn't do that. And then, of course, poorly supported spinal stabilizers may not be able to support the weight leading into what could potentially be a shift in the spine. So a spondylolisthesis, a listing of one of the vertebrae on top of another or the lumbar vertebrae on top of the sacrum can create a shift. It could be painful and that would also be not good. Well, here's another thing that I think is a little bit over focused on within the fitness industry, which is the depth of the squat. And the, you got to get your butt all the way down to the grass. Your, your hips need to go below your knees. You need to be at least parallel when you squat. Otherwise, it's not a real squat. And the depth of the squat gets too much focus in the fitness industry without any real support because the depth of the squat is not the most important thing. And some people will prioritize squat depth over spinal stability, which is certainly not the best option. So shallow squats can be done and can be excellent strength and performance and hypertrophy um, sources in your exercise. Now, obviously, just a short little bend in your knee and popping back up and little short bends, not going to do very much. But you can increase that range of motion and have a good squat and increase your strength and your hypertrophy and your performance outcomes without even going parallel. Might that be something that you may want to get somebody to? Maybe. Maybe. But why? Because that's the supposed to? Or because that's going to give you better outcomes? Because the research isn't clear on that. In fact, um, sometimes deeper squats can be better for the glutes. But if you're going into a posterior pelvic tilt or a butt wink, then 
you've already exceeded the range of motion that's going to be coming from the hip anyway. You ran out of hip range of motion. So you going into spinal flexion and coming out of it isn't helping to build your glutes anymore. And we also know that performance-wise, you want to jump higher. Squatting down lower is not going to help you. Getting a deep squat, that's not going to help you. So identifying what it is you want the outcomes to be and acknowledging that just because a squat is deeper doesn't mean that it's a better squat. Now, if you're doing something like Olympic lifts and you have to get underweight by dropping down lower, then you should really work on that squat depth. But not all of our clients are going to be doing cleans and jerks and snatches. And maybe that's not, that's not why they came to us. Maybe maybe they came to us to, to learn about weightlifting, um, Olympic lifting. But most people are coming to us for to, to lose weight or to feel better, to function better, increase activities of daily living, uh, get their cholesterol down. And the range of motion at your squat is not going to be a good indication on whether or not any of those things happen. It's a focus of yours. I think it's good. But don't move people through a range of motion, especially under load, where they go into spinal flexion, a posterior pelvic tilt, which means spinal extensors are going to be what gets them out of that. Because people don't go into a deep squat to bulk up their spinal extensors. And if you're going past that range of motion where you go into the posterior pelvic tilt, then what? Then you're not working the glutes more. You're not working the glutes more at your hips because that range of motion, extra range of motion, isn't coming from the hip. All right. Misfits, I hope you found this beneficial and interesting. And for those of you that are listening, I hope you found it beneficial and interesting, a topic about a butt wink. If you have questions or you would like to chat more about it, feel free to hit me up on email, rick.richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y, at nasm.org, or I'm most active on Instagram, at dr.rickrichie. I'd be happy to hear what you have to say. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.